the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. There's not going to be this division in the earth just like there is today where people will look at, you know, today we look at a leader and and some people say, "He's he's a wonderful leader. He's a great guide leading our nation and making right decisions. And others are saying, he's the worst leader we've ever had. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning upon the earth, everyone will say he's a wonderful counselor. Everyone will agree that he's a, he's a wonderful leader. As many of us have experienced in our own homes and social circles, politics can be one of the most divisive topics. Whether or not a leader is as perfect as humanly possible, there will always be those who disagree with said leader's policies and accomplishments. However, as Pastor Dan will teach you in his message today, there will be no opposition to the rule and reign of Jesus whatsoever. In his study, you'll learn how every tribe, tongue, and nation will marvel at the perfect, righteous, and just leadership of the one true living God. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Verse 6 tells us how the Messiah will come. And verse 6, of course, is a very familiar verse to us, especially, you know, just coming through the Christmas season last month. And uh, it's, it's a very familiar passage. This Messiah will come, it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So from a human perspective, from our perspective here on the earth, The child is born. Jesus Christ was born to Mary. That's the Christmas story, that he's born to the virgin. But from God's perspective, Jesus is a son that's given. And so he's both the child that is born, that's from our point of view, but he's also the son that's given. That's God's point of view. And we know the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, and he gave him to us. He gave him for us to die on the cross for our sins to rescue us. And so here in verse 6, you have uh, both the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's a child born and you have the deity of Jesus Christ. He's the son of God given to mankind to rescue mankind. Now, the rest of verse 6 is speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So in the first half of the verse, it speaks of his first coming when he was born as a child, given as a son. 
The rest of the verse now is describing his second coming and the time of the kingdom age when he's ruling upon uh, the earth. So, so you have both of them in one verse here. You know, um, turn with me over to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. If you remember in, uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 4, we're told that when Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, uh, he was handed the scroll of Isaiah and he opened Isaiah 61 and he began to read from Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then if you remember, Jesus stops right there and says he closes the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and then he sits down and he begins to teach. He stops in the middle of that verse. He stops in the middle of verse 2. He stops at the comma. The reason he stops in the middle of that verse is because everything he read up to that point is descri- describes his first coming. The ministry that he had in his, his first advent. He came the first time to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's his first coming. The second half of verse 2 is speaking of his second coming. The second half of verse 2 says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's his second coming. That's why he stops in the middle of the verse. So here here you have again in verse 2 an example of where half of the verse is speaking of his first advent and the other half of the verse, the second half, is speaking of his second advent. Just like back in chapter 9, verse 6 The first part of the verse speaks of his first coming. He's a child born. He's a son given. But then the rest of the verse speaks of his second coming, the kingdom age, when he is ruling as king on the earth. It says back in chapter 9, verse 6, and the government will be upon his shoulders. The government will be upon his shoulders. All the governments of the earth will be upon his shoulders. He'll he'll bear the responsibility of governing the earth when he returns the second time. He will carry the nations, if you will, upon his shoulders. If you go back to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all the hills. This is speaking of the government of Jesus Christ. And all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Describing the kingdom age under Jesus Christ, where he is ruling and reigning 
upon the earth from the city of Jerusalem, and all of the all of the governments of the earth will be upon his shoulders. He'll have the responsibility of governing the earth. Now, look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 tells us what his name will be called. When it talks about his name here, it's referring to his character, what he will do when he is ruling upon the earth, his character. It says, and his name will be called Wonderful. When Jesus Christ is reigning as king, and the governments are upon his shoulders and his only, the people that will be on the earth will will describe his kingdom, his government, his rule, his reign as wonderful. Your translation might say marvelous. People will marvel at Jesus. They'll, They'll marvel at his Uh, leadership, they'll marvel at his decisions in a good sense, not in a bad sense. They're not going to marvel in a bad sense. Like we marvel in a bad sense today at our leaders and our politicians, right? Did he really say that? Did he really do that? We marvel right now at at our politicians and our leaders because of the bad things they do. When Jesus is reigning upon the earth, people will marvel at the great things that he does. They'll admire his leadership. They'll describe him as a wonderful leader by all the people on the earth. They'll also describe him as counselor, wonderful counselor. And and the idea with this word counselor, it means to guide, to guide. It's speaking of Jesus as, as the guide of all the earth. You know, and Jesus guides our lives individually right now. Uh, through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. But then, when He is ruling over all the earth, He will guide the nations perfectly, justly, rightly. And everyone will agree that He is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful guide for the earth. They're they're, they're not going to be divided. There's not going to be this division in the earth, just like there is today where people will look at, you know, today we look at a leader and, and some people say, he's a, he's a wonderful leader. He's a great guide leading our nation and making right decisions. And others are saying, he's the worst leader we've ever had. When Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning upon the earth, everyone will say, he's a wonderful counselor. Everyone will agree that he's a, he's a wonderful leader. And he will be the mighty God. The mighty God. This is a a very straightforward declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ. He will be called the mighty God. Over in chapter 10, verse 21, and the same phrase is used, uh, and there it is used to refer to Yahweh. Here it's referring to this Messiah that will come, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mighty God. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13 The Apostle Paul describes Jesus as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the mighty God. And when he is reigning over all the earth, everyone will acknowledge that he is the mighty God. And as the mighty God, he will have the power to carry out his plans upon the earth. 
and he will be called the everlasting father. The everlasting father. And that doesn't mean that Jesus is the father in the Godhead. You know, the, the Godhead has the three distinct persons within the Godhead. The, the title means that he is the source or the originator of eternity. Uh, in John chapter 8, uh, Satan is referred to as the father of lies, which means that Satan is the originator, the source of lies. Jesus is the everlasting father. He's the source or the originator of eternity. He alone has the words of eternal life, Peter said. So he's the everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Now, Jesus is the one who makes peace for us with God. And it says in Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus has reconciled us to God and made peace through the blood of his cross. And so we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus makes peace between God and man, but when he is on the earth again and he is ruling over the earth and the governments are upon his shoulder, he will bring peace to the earth. At last, there will be peace on the earth. And so, listen, for you and me, as believers, as people that have trusted Jesus Christ, and we know him as our Lord and Savior, for us, right now, he's already wonderful. He's already our counselor, our guide through life. He's already a mighty God to us. He's already the everlasting Father. He alone alone has the words of eternal life. He's already the Prince of Peace. We've experienced His peace that passes all understanding. But then, when Jesus is reigning upon the earth, all of the earth will know these things to be true about Him. Right now, the believer knows, but then all of the earth will know. It says in verse 7, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His government and peace will never end. Remember Handel's Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. King of kings. Hallelujah. Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Forever and ever. Hallelujah. Right? There'll be no end. Upon the throne of David... And over his kingdom, he will sit on David's throne. You know, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord promised to David that one of his descendants would would sit upon his throne and rule as king forever. And that'll be Jesus. And we might sit here and we might think, well, this just sounds too good to be true. I mean, it sounds impossible to accomplish. I mean, How is he going to bring all these people in the world together? There's so much division and trouble in the world, and yet he's going to bring them all together, and they're all going to agree that he's wonderful and counselor and mighty God and everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, and and everybody is going to be filled with joy, just like the joy that comes at harvest time. Ah, I don't know. That seems like a pretty tall order. Well, if you look at verse 7, He reassures us here, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. The Lord will do it. (laughs) 
The Lord's going to make it happen. It seems impossible to us right now that the whole world could be brought together and that the world could be free from war and have peace, but the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. He's going to make it happen on the earth. Now that brings us to verse 8. Beginning in verse 8, all the way down to chapter 10, verse 4, this section describes what will happen to the northern kingdom of Israel when Assyria invades. Now, if you remember, Isaiah the prophet is in the southern kingdom. He's in the southern kingdom of Judah. And what he does here is he uses the northern kingdom to illustrate a point for the southern kingdom. He he uses the northern kingdom as an object lesson for the southern kingdom. And and the, the point that he's making is that God... Uh, did not take the sin of the northern kingdom lightly. And God judged that sin. And so the southern kingdom will also experience the punishment of God for their sin if they don't repent. And that's the lesson he's trying to show them. Look at what happened to the northern kingdom. Look at what God did to them. And God will do the same in the southern kingdom if you don't repent. And so it says in verse 8, The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that's in the northern kingdom, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. (laughs) Assyria destroyed the cities of the northern kingdom, all of them tore them down, knocked down their their brick walls of the city. And the Assyrians cut down all of the trees in the land of the northern kingdom, which is something they often did. They would just go in and, and just level the whole nation, cut down all of the trees just to devastate the land. And the northern kingdom, when this happened to them, they did not respond with a broken and contrite heart. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart, God will never turn away. But the northern kingdom, when this happened to them, they didn't respond with a broken and contrite heart. Instead, they responded to this with pride and arrogance. And they said, we will rebuild our cities. And we'll make them stronger than before. And we'll make them better than before. More glorious than before. And yes, they cut down our trees. But we'll we'll plant cedar trees, giant cedar trees. In their place. We'll make everything bigger and better and stronger. And they, they missed the lesson. They missed the lesson. They missed it. Instead of, uh, instead of you know, humbling themselves and seeking God as a nation and asking God, why did this happen? They, in their pride and arrogance, responded by saying, we'll make it bigger. They tore down our brick walls. Well, we'll make walls out of hewn stones. You know, they cut down our sycamore trees. We'll plant cedars. You know, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make it, you know, bigger and better. We'll make it greater than it's ever been before. And nobody ever never stopped to ask, why did we lose our greatness? Why did we lose our greatness? Why aren't we great like we once were? 
Why are our cities devastated? Why are the walls knocked down? Why are all the trees cut down? Why did this happen to our nation? How did we end up here in this situation? No one ever stopped to ask that. They just said, we'll just make it bigger and greater and better and more glorious, more beautiful, stronger. There'll be no stopping us. And that's the lesson that they missed. You know, from a, from a human point of view, from just a, a human, you know, horizontal point of view, Israel lost its former greatness because of Assyria. You know, Assyria invaded and did this to their land. That would be kind of the human explanation of what happened. But from God's point of view, a spiritual understanding of what happened in that nation, they're in this, this situation and the land is devastated because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And Assyria was just a tool in God's hand that he used to bring this devastation upon the land in the hopes that they would repent and turn back to him. But they're so prideful of heart as a nation, they, they don't even consider that maybe there's a spiritual reason that this nation is in the condition that it's in. And that we can just overcome and we can build bigger and better and stronger and we'll be better than we ever were before. They didn't learn the lesson. And so in verse 11, look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin, that's the king of Syria, his adversaries will come against Israel and spur his enemies on. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, the Syrians are going to turn against Israel. Right now they're allied with Israel. But once Rezin dies, Syria turns against them. And the Philistines will come against them. And look what it says. And they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. The, the picture there at the end of verse 12 is that of wild animals just ripping the carcass of Israel apart. You guys have seen that, you know, on like Animal Planet and that kind of thing. Where the animals just attack from every direction and they're just ripping the animal apart. That's what these nations are going to do to Israel. The Lord will send the Syrians against them from the east. He's going to send the Philistines against them from the west. Enemies are going to come against them from every direction. And here's the deal. They will not rebuild the nation bigger and better than it ever was before. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring we're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. 
Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592. We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.